Welcome to the Journey Women Podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Bielis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women Podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. On today's episode of the Journey Women Podcast, I had the sincere privilege of chatting with one of my own personal heroes, Nancy Guthrie, on the topic of the new heavens and the new earth. If you have ever wondered how the Bible story has always been headed toward glory and how that reality actually impacts your everyday, Nancy and I talked about that for the entire episode. Well, really, Nancy talked and I asked questions. Listen to what she said. We're not simply headed toward a restoration of what was in Eden. Because Eden, as good, as beautiful, as pristine as it was, When we read the story in Genesis chapter one and two in Eden, it was just the beginning. It it, it was filled with potential. If Adam and Eve obeyed, Eden wouldn't have necessarily just stayed the way it was forever. If they obeyed, Eden would have gone from good to glorious. So you'll know her a little better. Nancy Guthrie teaches the Bible through numerous Bible study books at her home church in Cornerstone Presbyterian Church in Franklin, Tennessee, as well as at conferences and around the country internationally. She offers companionship and biblical insight to the grieving through respite retreats that she and her husband David host for couples who have faced the death of a child through grief share video stories and through books such as Holding On to Hope and Hearing Jesus Speak Into Your Sorrow. Her newest book, Even Better Than Eden, Nine Ways the Bible Story Changes Everything About Your Story, released just last month. She is also the host of the Help Me Teach the Bible podcast at the Gospel Coalition, which, by the way, is my personal favorite. I cannot wait to share Nancy with you today. But you know before I do that I've got to tell you about our incredible sponsors who helped to make today's conversation possible. Handy.com, ENETPs, and PrepDish. I know you've heard me talking about the two-week free trial from PrepDish, and you should go check it out right now if you haven't done so already. In the midst of parenting toddlers, I have a two- and three-year-old, if you didn't know, PrepDish has really kept me sane. They are a healthy, subscription-based meal planning service. All you have to do is sign up, and then you'll receive an email every week with a grocery list and instructions for prepping your meals ahead of time. You're going to spend one to three hours of prepping on the weekend, and then your meals will be ready for the entire week, and it is the best. So whether you have a growing family like ours or you're trying to establish new rhythms, Prep Dish is going to be such a time saver and keep you eating clean, healthy meals when your time is limited. And you don't even have to think about it. In fact, you can actually listen to this podcast or Bible audio or whatever it is that you listen to while you're prepping meals the best. I'm a huge fan of Prep Dish, and I hope you'll try out this free two-week trial that they're offering. Just go to PrepDish.com slash journey. That's PrepDish.com slash journey for a free two-week trial. Now, on to my conversation with Nancy on the topic of the new heavens and the new earth. Nancy Guthrie, I can hardly believe I'm doing an intro for you right now. This is such oh, an please. honor to have you on the show today. Thank you for joining us on the Journey Women podcast. Oh, this is so much fun to be with you. I'm glad to get to talk to you. I mean, you have had a tremendous impact on me. I think I discovered your work about two years ago, and I started with your book, Seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. 
Mm. And I sent it to my dad, and he and I have been reading through it throughout the year as we're doing a chronological Bible reading as well. So it's really fun to get to do that alongside my dad. He's a big fan of yours, and I think he's cheering for us right now as I'm getting to chat with you from my closet in Fort Campbell, Kentucky. So thank you so much for your work. I've really enjoyed it and appreciated it. You've been a mentor to many of my mentors, and you're the host of my favorite podcast, Help Me Teach the Bible, produced by Is It Crossway and the Gospel Coalition. Exactly. Yes. So I'd love for the listeners to get to hear from you a little bit more about who you are and what you do. Yeah. Well, I live here in Nashville and um, I spend most of my time uh, working on writing, whether that's a book project or a blog post, Right. Um, preparing to speak and teach the This coming weekend, I'm doing a biblical theology workshop in Austin. Oh, so fun. I know. Biblical theology is really a passion of mine, which we'll get to talking about, I'm sure. Um, This last weekend, uh, my husband, David, and I hosted a weekend retreat for couples who have lost children. It was our 33rd respite retreat, which I can hardly believe. Since 2009, we've been holding these retreats. It's just 11 couples who have lost children and us for the weekend. And so uh, that is a significant part of my ministry. And I should probably say right now, uh, as a coming off of those weekends, it's a tiring part of my ministry. Uh, it's, um, It's physically and emotionally really tiring, right. but I also have to tell you, Hunter, it's, it's the most, it's the biggest blessing. You just can't mm. believe it, how sweet it is to spend the weekend with these couples who are hurting so deeply yes. and to have invited the Holy Spirit, in fact, begged the Holy Spirit to come and do a work of mm. healing that only the Spirit can do as right. and see God work through his word and through his people to bring life back to really hurting couples is an incredible privilege. So that, that I do a few other things, but that's my world. Yeah. I guess. And my, you mentioned my podcast. I do this podcast called help me teach the Bible, uh, where I talk to really excellent Bible teachers about how to teach through a particular book of the Bible or aspect of Bible teaching and, I mean, that is really fun to me. In many ways, I mean, it's, it's been, number one, an excuse to invite myself over to meet some people that I really admire and have yes. to meet and to get to have meaningful conversation with them. Totally. That's been really fun. Uh, it's also just been good for me to learn because, you know, especially when I'm talking to someone about a book of the Bible that I've never taught myself, mm-hmm. I've got to get a little bit, at least a grip on it to be able to ask an intelligent question. Yeah. And so I've learned a lot, you know, in the process of preparing for the interview, doing the interview, editing the interviews, I've learned a whole lot from a lot of these people. And it's a joy to me as I, I, I travel to speak a great deal and, and, and I'll go somewhere and I'll have you know, a woman walk up to me and she'll just look at me with very sincere eyes and just say, thank you so much for helping me teach the Bible. I feel in many ways, I'm kind of alone in my church in this. And it really helps me uh, feel not so alone and, you know, gives me a resource for trying to get better at this thing that I 
that really matters to me that I want to get better at. So yes. of that. That's so wonderful. And as a connoisseur, I personally take it in not as a Bible teacher, but as someone who's reading through the text. Like I mentioned, I'm reading chronologically. And so every time I start a new book, I listen to the episode that you have on that particular book with your guest. And it's super helpful. Yeah, just to understand what I'm reading. And I always recommend it to our listeners. I tell them it's my favorite podcast, whether they're teaching the Bible or just reading and learning the Bible for themselves. It's a really, really helpful resource. And it is fun to get to listen to you asking questions of people that have, in a sense, like mentored you at a distance a lot of times. And I think that's exactly what the Journey Women podcast is for me, Nancy, and what like in this conversation, as we're sitting and chatting, I hope to also model what it would look like to just sit with a woman in a local church and to ask questions about a specific topic. And today I want to dive into the topic of the new heavens and the new earth or the consummation with you. And I sat in your teaching at the Gospel Coalition Women's Conference and literally, yes, I was like on the second row just with my brains exploding out of my head. (laughs) I didn't mean to explode brain. You did. And I've listened to it many times um, since the the conference. And I told your husband, we were actually stuck in the elevator together. And I said, I'm going to have to listen to that um, a couple more times because that was was a lot. And it was also wonderful. So I would love for the listeners to get to hear from you a little bit about your new book, Even Better Than Eden. And we can just kind of dive into why it's important that we study and learn the whole story of the Bible and why we learn about and treasure the new heavens and the new earth. Yeah. Oh, there's so much there. We could talk for hours instead of an hour. Yes, yes. um, How about if I go back a little bit and say that I'm perhaps a lot like a a lot of your listeners, which would be that I grew up in a church being taught a lot of Bible stories. Right. You know, I, I mean, my earliest memories are vacation Bible school and Sunday school at our Baptist church in Kansas City growing up. And, you know, I I was always there and I always had the right answer. And then I went away to college and I I studied Bible in college. I got a job in Christian publishing right out of college where I worked with, uh, you know, a lot of the leading authors of that day, generally evangelical leading authors. And I worked on their projects and I, I, you know, I'd had a media relations business where I worked on promoting Christian books. And I, I served several different Christian teachers Mm -hmm. doing media relations. So all that to say, I've been inundated in the Bible most of my life. Right. But it probably wasn't until about 10 years ago that I began to hear people teach and preach with this sense of redemptive history. And by that, I mean, they came to the Bible, first of all, uh, with a sense that the whole Bible is about Christ. Yes. And that the whole Bible is not so much about what I'm supposed to do, but about what Christ has done. Yeah. In fact, I can remember where, where I was when I heard a pastor say that. And that for me was mind boggling because How freeing. It, I was just like, whoa. Yeah. Wait. I mean, and maybe that seems obvious to some people, but that just was like a huge shift to me. And I think then I remember, you know, hearing someone, maybe it was Tim Keller, you know, a sermon where he begins talking about the true Abel and the true Noah and the true, you know, Joshua. And he's showing how all of these people in the Old Testament are are, are revealing something to us about Christ. And honestly, that just was like, okay, 
I have thought I know so much about the Bible, but basically I need to go like back to kindergarten, <laughs> especially in regard to the Old Testament. When that happened, I felt like I just got saved. <laughs> like I'm like, oh my goodness, the gospel is, you know, illuminated in a way that How I never I understood. It. Yes. Yes. So that's when I committed. You mentioned earlier a book. I, I, I um, that's when I committed to uh, Tyndale. I asked them, if, could I write the one year book of discovering Jesus in the Old Testament? And it was a joy to me to get to spend a year just basically I was trying to reorient the way I read the Old Testament and, right. and look at every aspect to see in what way it it points to Christ. And so I think that was a big part of the foundation, beginning to understand that. But I think the other big part uh, for me, Hunter, I mentioned that we host weekend retreats for couples who have lost children. And that ministry comes out of the fact that my husband, David, and I, uh, we have a son, Matt, who's 28, and we also have two children, Hope and Gabriel, who both died uh, at the age of about six months of mm-hmm. a rare metabolic disorder. And that experience, Hunter, that, you know, anybody mm-hmm. who has that experience has a big question. And, and the big question is why? Right. And for some people, that question becomes very philosophical. Uh, you know, got And for some people, you know, it becomes very personal and situational. I want to see why, I want to see a purpose for which God is doing this. For me, that question became very scriptural. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, there must be, there are some things I don't fully grasp about who God is and what he's doing in this world. And as I went on a search for that answer, I found the answer, the most significant answer to that question in Genesis chapter three. Hmm. In Genesis chapter three, when we see sin enter into this world that otherwise was so pure and pristine. And what's the first one of the first things we see come out of that as as God, he puts the curse on the the serpent. But he also says to him, a day is coming when there's going to be an offspring of the woman who's going to crush your head. Right. But he says to the woman, there's going to be an implication of this for you, which is going to be pain and childbearing. And, and, and that's not just the pain of labor and delivery. This is the pain of infertility and miscarriage mm. and birth defect and infant death. And it's the pain of raising a sinner in a sin cursed world. And so there's so much more to that. And but so I looked there and I saw, okay, so here's the really bad news that, that, that now there is this curse that has impacted all the world, even my genetic code, it's impacted the world that much. So there was my answer to the question, why? Right. Sin has impacted the world. But not only did I see an answer to that question, why there, I discovered hope. Mm. There. there was this source of hope that there was going to be this offspring of the woman born one day mm. who would crush the head of evil sin and death that brought so much pain into this world. And, you know, I don't know why growing up with all this Bible teaching I had, nobody ever mm. impressed upon me that without understanding what's happening there in Genesis 3.15, you can't understand the rest of the Bible. But I never understood that. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, to understand that the rest of the Bible is the, the, the whole of the Old Testament, we could say, was the watching for and the longing for that particular offspring to come 
And then we open up the New Testament and there is the coming of that offspring of the woman, which is why I think Paul says in Galatians uh, 4, 4, in the fullness of time, God has sent his son. And then he adds this little phrase, born of a woman. Hmm. I think he's referring back to Genesis 3.15. He's saying, this is the one. This is the offspring. Um, so that's a lot of background to say. Uh, uh, Got to get to your question about the new heavens and the new earth. So so first of all, I had this misunderstanding. I had I knew lots of stories, but not the larger story that um, encapsulates the whole of the Bible. Right. I think the other big misunderstanding I had was that most of my life, the Christian life was about, okay, you know, you become a Christian and that the essence of that is then you go to heaven when you die. Mm-hmm. That's the way it's presented, too. I mean, even in That's evangelism, I had a very similar um, experience. I don't think it was, you know, 10 or 12 years ago that I ever heard anyone talk about the new heavens and the new earth. Yeah. And, but it's, you know, the, it, it's there in the Old Testament. It, it, it's in Isaiah 65. Mm. And of course, it's it, it's 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 there throughout the New Testament once your eyes are open to it, but especially in Revelation. And so that was a huge paradigm shift for me to understand. Okay, so the trajectory is yes, my soul goes into the presence of Christ when I die. My body goes into the ground. And so the, the, the essence of hope that's being presented to us in the scriptures is not going to heaven when we die. Always, over and over again, I began to see in the New Testament that the essence of hope that was being offered to us was all focused on resurrection, mm. resurrection, resurrection. Why? Because then uh, we return to this earth. Our souls return with Christ. Christ calls our bodies to this new glorious resurrection life from the grave. And the thing is, up until this point, I never thought about what happens then. Even, even if I understood resurrection, first of all, I don't think I ever just thought about where are we going to live then? Right. So it was pretty significant for me to understand, um, okay, oh, we're going to live on a resurrected, renewed earth, which is really clear in, in Romans 8, where it talks about all creation groaning, mm-hmm. longing for this resurrection. Basically, uh, it's, it's longing for the uh, revelation of the sons of man. Basically, it's longing for resurrection day, because on that day, not only mm-hmm. are resurrected, the earth that has been infiltrated with this curse the curse will be gone for good and mm-hmm. be no more curse. And so the whole world in a sense is, is resurrected. Okay. So then we're going to, we're going to live in this new heavens and new earth. So that was all pretty mind boggling to me. Now getting to even better than Eden's in the years since then, I hear a lot of teachers who will, they get this trajectory and they understand the new heavens and the new earth. But what they will often say sometimes, and I shouldn't say they because I think I've said this too, because um, uh, many times I've gone to speak somewhere and I've said, okay, can, can we tell the story of the Bible in four words? And of these four words, there's a lot, some of them we get the same, but some of them we hear some variations. So for example, uh, a lot of times we'll hear that the story of the Bible could be captured in creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Right. 
My listeners are all saying yes, because I have said that so many times. That's part of the reason why this and and all of the conversations that I share on the podcast, Nancy, I am trying to cover in some way with the questions that I'm asking each one of those elements. But when I heard your talk, I'm like, oh, no, I'm missing this huge part. So go on with it. My world. Let's see. Restoration is not a full picture of what's to come, right? Yes. And welcome to my world, by the way, because all of my mistakes (laughs) like this are in print, in books, you know, because I I keep learning. But anyway, so, yeah, so I began to see by this, I I was really helped um, by a number of theologians as I began to read them, especially uh, G.K. Beale, Greg Beale from Westminster, listening to some lectures by Lane Tempton, who's a professor at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia, then also listening to a guy named J.B. Fesco is at Westminster, California. But what I began to see was that that is inadequate because we're not simply headed toward a restoration of what was in Eden. Because Eden, as good, as beautiful, as pristine as it was, when we read the story in Genesis chapter one and two in Eden, It was just the beginning. Mm -hmm. It it, it was filled with potential. If Adam and Eve obeyed, Eden wouldn't have necessarily just stayed the way it was forever. If they obeyed, Eden would have gone from good to glorious. Mm -hmm. I mean, once once we begin to think about these things, some of the things become obvious because we can see, first of all, that Eden had these pretty limited boundaries at first. And what were Adam and Eve supposed to do? Well, they were supposed to be fruitful and multiply. So it was supposed to grow in population. Right. And as it grew in population and as they worked and kept the ground, as they, uh, then, then the boundaries of Eden would grow and grow and grow and they'd be filled with all of these image bearers mm-hmm. until what until the whole of the earth was this beautiful garden paradise mm. filled with image bearers of Christ uh, image bearers of God and image bearers who bore this greater glory that would come because of their obedience and the thing is, we know that's not what happened. Right. Adam and Eve didn't obey. Uh, and so, you know, it's like the story gets rerouted before it barely begins. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this is one of those foundational things that helps us make sense of the Bible. Once we understand that aspect of Eden. Okay, so... It would have become more glorious, more expansive, but the first Adam failed. That's when we say, oh, okay, now we're waiting throughout the Bible. We're waiting and watching for another son, Mm -hmm. the second Adam, and he will obey. He, He will face temptation in a garden the Garden of Gethsemane. Yeah. He will face temptation even in a wilderness, and the wilderness is his first temptation. And he will obey. Mm. Um, he will be fruitful and multiply. He will exercise dominion. He will do all of these things that the first Adam was meant to do but failed. And so that that even helps us understand what it means to be a Christian. 
Yes. Very basic thing, does it not? Because we're all born, in a sense, in Adam. We are all born as offspring of Adam. And so what must we, and if we stay in Adam, we're just going to die like he did. Mm -hmm. But if we are, if we take hold of Christ, the second Adam, then his life flows into ours and all that he, his, his obedience becomes ours. And the, the, he is going to be the one who actually leads all who are joined to him into the glorious life that Adam would have led us into if he obeyed. Mm-hmm. And so it, understanding the Bible in this way compels us. It makes us understand why it is so important to take hold of Christ by faith. Mm-hmm. He, mm-hmm. Is the, he is the one. He's the only one who's going to lead us into this glorious life that the first Adam failed to lead us into. Mm-hmm. Nancy, I just want to weep because even just earlier this week, I found myself ridden with, you know, shame and feelings of, man, I just feel like the Lord is like not pleased with what I'm doing. And one of my girlfriends texted me and she said to remember that the smiles of the Lord are given to me, not based on my performance, but on what Christ has done. And I just wish I could beat into my head like to remember that on a daily basis, but it's so hard for me to remember. Can you help us like, why is it important to view our own stories and our own day-to-day lives in the context of the whole of Scripture? And how does that infiltrate every aspect of the way in which we go about life on a day-to-day basis? Oh, that's such a good question because it, it is significant because we're, we have a tendency to think, and you know what, the world and even the Christian world right now really encourages us to be all about our story, doesn't it? Yeah, yes. It's all about me and it's my story and everybody's story is important. It, yes, however, really what's important is yes. that somehow I get connected to this story. Yes. This story that works its way from Genesis to Revelation, because it is this story Mm -hmm. that shapes everything about my story. And Mm so my goal is not to like own my story or tell my story. The aim of my life is to find myself in this story and, and to find myself. Okay. So, you know, I mentioned earlier, I can see, Something of my story there in Genesis chapter three, you know, yes. I, I realize, okay, this explains the brokenness yes. that I have experienced. All right. This makes sense of that aspect of my story. And um, as I, as I trace the story through scripture, you know, even through the old Testament, maybe even in, maybe even in the Psalms and the wisdoms books, you know, the, the, when I hear, a psalmist longing for God to, how long, oh Lord, you know, mm. when do you come and set things right? Mm. I relate to that. that you know, mm. I, I see my story there too, longing for him to set things right. And when I get to the Gospels and I see Christ come, and I, when I see Christ heal bodies, you know, I used to think, Hunter, when I read some of those things in the Gospels, especially early on after my daughter, Hope, died, mm. died, sometimes some of those stories really bothered me because I thought to myself, well, how nice for you people 
you got the miracle. Right. You, you know, you were blind and you saw you were dead and you were raised to life. And I, I, I didn't know, I didn't know how to make sense of that in light of the death of my children. But this is where understanding the whole of the Bible story makes a difference because now I see that in Jesus healing ministry, when he was here on earth, it was like every person he touched and healed. It was like he was giving a visible preview of what is coming when his kingdom comes to earth in all of its fullness. Mm. I, I just think now I just think of every touch there as like he's giving people a preview of the new heavens and the new earth. Here's what it's going to be like when I come, right? Wow. There's going to be no blindness and there's going to be no paralysis and there's going to be no death. It's like each of them is a it is a preview of that. So now when I look at those stories, instead of resenting that God hasn't isn't doing that in my life in the here and now. I realized, oh, he's setting, he's helping me to set my hopes on his return yes. on, on resurrection day, on this new heavens and the new earth, when his healing will be plentiful and pervasive and permanent. And so, because, you know, if you think about it, even his healing miracles in, in, in the gospels, they weren't permanent. All of those people died right. eventually, but it's this preview of what is yet to come. And so to understand my story in this way, then I realized, okay, so as I am joined to Christ, I am experiencing some of the new creation now. That's what Paul says when he, when he writes in 1 Corinthians, when he says that all who are in Christ, if you're in Christ, the new creation has come. It means that we too, we're getting tastes and glimpses of the new creation, the new heavens and the earth. It's like it's breaking into the interior of our lives and making us new on the inside. But the day is coming when it's going, when we are raised from our graves and we'll experience it in full forever. Yes, and yes, amen. And we're talking about the preview of what's to come. And as we are catching little glimpses of what will happen and it's causing us to long for what's to come. Yes. What else do we have to long for and to look forward to in the new heavens and the new earth? You've so beautifully described it, you know, with the healing aspect and the resurrected bodies. But what else do we have to look forward to in the new heavens and the new earth? Well, you know, this is why the book that I've just released, Even Better Than Eden, what I do over nine chapters is I trace the Bible story nine different times because I think each, each, and I think of it this way, I think of it as looking at a, uh, an incredible piece of art. I'm not a big art connoisseur, so I'm not an expert. But, you know, I hear they say when you look at a great painting or mm. a great sculpture or something, you know, you should walk around it and look at it from different angles because you understand its beauty in different ways that way. And so I think of this book as that I'm looking at the beauty of Christ and his person and work and what he's doing in the world from nine different angles. And I think that what that does is that it puts some meat on the bones Mm -hmm. of understanding the new heavens and the earth and what our eternity is going to be out. Not in, you know, I think often we want to impose on heaven we think we know what's going to make us happy. And right. What's and so we want to talk about heaven in terms of, will it have this? Will it have that? The things that we think are important. Mm-hmm. But I think as we trace the Bible story, it is demonstrating to us what is important and what God is preparing for us. And so each of these nine different stories, nine different themes 
kind of brings to the surface some aspect of the glory of the new heavens and the new earth that gives us something to chew on for for what we can expect. So, for example, I tell the story of clothing. Yes, I love this, Nancy. When you're talking about like the insecurity that we face often as women and trying to clothe ourselves in the most stylish fashions. And then even like I just turned 30 and thinking through this from the lens of like our bodies are aging. Yeah. And how pervasive the pursuit of youth is for us as women in particular. Yeah. So, you know, I think I do kind of blow people's minds and make people wonder if I'm totally making all this stuff up. When they read in the book that in the Garden of Eden, when it says that Adam and Eve were naked, that that wasn't necessarily a good thing. Uh, Because we do, we have this idea of, perfection of of Eden. And it's, you know, it's not that it was a bad thing. It's just, to me, an indication it wasn't yet all God intended. Yes. Uh, You know, Adam and Eve, they're there in Eden. They're meant to be royal representatives of the great king. And if we look through the rest of the Bible, and and I think we should interpret every part of the Bible Mm -hmm. in context of every other part of the Bible. Right. See that throughout the scriptures, royal representatives are always dressed like royalty, and and we're reading that they're naked. But see, they haven't passed the test yet. So, you know, once they passed the test, they would have been dressed in this royal righteousness. Hmm. I say that, you know, that, that they were, the nakedness was an issue to be addressed, but it would have been had they been obeyed, had they obeyed. But of course, they didn't obey. But so what do they do? They hide. Mm-hmm. And they, specifically, they say they hid because they were naked. And what does God do? He comes and he covers their nakedness. And when he does that, it's like a preview of how he's going to ultimately and eternally cover the nakedness. It's, it's the, it's, it, there's a, there's the, they're, they're covered with the robes of an innocent sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So immediately it, it's pointing us toward Christ. And throughout the Old Testament, you know, you re- get to Isaiah and he talks about nakedness and being covered in robes of righteousness. And as we work our way through the Bible, we say, Jesus, first of all, how does how how do we see in his ministry the answer to our nakedness? Well, there on the cross, mm. Jesus is stripped naked. It's like he he bear he bears all the shame and ugliness of our sin in 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 nakedness. But mm. then when we get to the end of the Bible story, and maybe we we brush over this little detail if we haven't thought about the whole story of clothing throughout the Bible. But then when we get to Revelation and we read about being clothed in white linen garments that have made been made pure because they have been washed in the blood of Christ. This begins to fill our hearts with a, a deeper longing because we understand, like you were talking about feeling a sense of shame. You know what? When we begin to think about what it's going to mean throughout all eternity to be clothed in the white linen garments that have been made clean by the blood of Christ. And we realize even now we're we're experiencing that in part that we don't have to be women who are covered in shame, but instead what, what does the new Testament tell us? It, It tells us to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. 
Uh, it, it tells us to clothe ourselves in humility, and, and it lists all these things. And, of course, those are the character of Christ. And so understanding these stories, I think, helps us to not only value and understand what is yet to come in the new heavens and the new earth when we experience all of these things in full, but even what we're experiencing in part now by being joined to Christ by faith. Mm, I think now my practical takeaway is what are the unfit coverings that I am trying to cover up with? And I I really appreciate that because that just gets down into the nitty gritty practical of when we're looking in the mirror and our thoughts are consumed with, you know, what we wish was or something like that. And I think that's just a real potent way on a daily basis to look in the mirror and to look forward to what's to come and also to embrace the covering that we have in Christ today. Like, praise the Lord. Absolutely. Can I, can I do another one? Yes, please, please. I'm anxious to hear yeah. what you're going to do because I have so many favorites. Well, another one I think is to look at the story of the bridegroom. Yeah. You know, it, once again, it begins in Eden and, you know, we get this, they're one flesh and they're naked and not ashamed. I mean, it's just like the ideal marriage. It's, it, it's the only ideal marriage there ever was, right? Uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Eve is the only one who was ever married to a sinless husband. And so, you know, it had to be great. <laughs> um, but it's so fascinating, isn't it? How much changes between Genesis chapter two and chapter three. I mean, after sin, you know, in chapter two, you've got, you've got Adam and, and he says, at last, mm. and reaches out for his bride. This bride is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, and this is beautiful. And then you get to chapter three, and what is he doing? He's pointing the finger at Eve and saying, this woman you gave me. Mm. You know, she's mm. the one who ruined everything. Mm. And in the curse, we understand that now their re- relationship is going to be conflict-ridden. And so a marriage in the garden goes desperately wrong. And so we look at that and we realize, okay, so maybe he, he – maybe, if I wonder why my marriage doesn't completely fulfill me or why I'm sometimes disappointed in my spouse, maybe this has something to do with that. Yeah. Uh, maybe I am, I am a person who is still struggles with sin and I live in a world where relationships don't work right as a result of, of the, of the fall. But as we trace that story, I mean, you know, you go through the old Testament and mm-hmm. God's, of himself as a husband. He, ta- he speaks of the nation of Israel as his bride. But we, you know, we look in, in the prophet Isaiah, but especially in the story of the prophet Hosea. Yes. He, he's wanting to show us how wrong this marriage has gone between him and his people. And in, in the story of Hosea and Gomer, here's Hosea, what does he do? He, he has this unfaithful wife and Yet he goes and he buys her back Mm. and he brings her home and he begins to sanctify her to himself Mm -hmm. and make her into a pure bride. What a picture. And then when we get to the gospel of John, I think we can't understand John 2 and John 4 without understanding that the whole story of the Bible has been about the story of the true bridegroom. This one who's going to come. Think about it. John chapter two, uh, John's first uh, presentation of Jesus is at this wedding in Cana. Mm -hmm. And the bridegroom has failed to provide the wine 
and what does Jesus do? He's the true bridegroom. Mm-hmm. So he, he gives the wine. And um, in fact, I, there's something I've read since I written the book that I wish I'd included in the book. And I'll just tell you what it is. is that I, I started to think about how all of these things, when Jesus does a miracle, he's giving a preview of what's going to be in the new heavens and the new earth. So remember how it says the very best wine? Yeah. I think that wine tasted like wine is going to taste like in the new heavens and the new earth. I don't know. That's mm. just my All right. So there's that. and But then a couple of chapters later, he's at a well and there is a failed bride there. She's been married, you know, over and over and over again. All these marriages have failed. And here's the true bridegroom. And he's basically calling her to drink, him, to take of himself. He's the living water who's going to satisfy her. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then we get to the end of the Bible story and the very last few Verses, you've got the, the bride, it says the bride says come and the bridegroom, he, he leaves us kind of whispering in our ear, I am coming soon. So what is, if, if that's the story of the Bible and we know that really, especially from Ephesians 5, that marriage has always been about Christ and his bride, that Christ loved the church and gave his life for the church, that he might sanctify her. Mm-hmm. What does that mean for our ordinary marriages? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think one thing it means is that we can never expect our human husbands mm-hmm. to love us in the way only the true bridegroom can. Yeah. So maybe we ought to stop expecting that they would. Yes. Wow. Maybe we should stop putting so much pressure and expectation on them. Mm-hmm. And, in, and, and if we're not married, maybe we should recognize that having a human husband in this life is not the be all end all. Right. But that there is a greater marriage coming of which this human marriage in this lifetime is only a dim shadow. If you are listening to this podcast and you feel like you are being cheated because the man, there has been no at last for you. Mm-hmm. This man has come on. I'm just, I'm just here to tell you, when you step into the new heavens and the new earth and you enter into this glorious eternal marriage, you are not going to spend eternity thinking that you were cheated. <laughs> mm, mm. You just won't. And so that's, I think that's the kind of thing that it has the power to change our here and now. Yes. They understand that because we are joined to Christ, we are going to enjoy the best marriage ever forever. Yeah. And that none of us are going to feel cheated. Yes. I love that so much. I know you're loving this conversation with Nancy because I absolutely did. And because of that, I want to share with you the other sponsors that helped to make it possible. Handy.com and E&E TPs. Handy is the easy and convenient way to book home cleanings on a schedule that works for you and your family. Handy allows you to book home cleanings right from the ease of their app or their website. You can read real customer reviews to find the perfect pro for all your needs. We recently scheduled a cleaning through Handy. It was amazing. My house has literally never been that clean. I could smell it when I walked in the door. We left to run errands, came home to a clean house. Yes, and please. And with Handy's clear upfront pricing, what you see is what you pay. And you can pay securely on the app. To get your first three-hour cleaning for $39 when you sign up for a plan, what? Visit handy.com slash hunter and use the promo code hunter during the checkout. Recurring charge terms and conditions apply. 
but visit handy.com to learn more. Go today and visit handy.com slash hunter and use your promo code hunter to get your first three hour cleaning for $39 or gift it to a friend, gift it to a new mom, gift it to a sister who you know needs it this week. Go check it out, guys. Handy.com. Our other sponsor is E&E Teepees. E&E Teepees makes play tents for the imaginative and trendy child. Katie Bocchino, a former teacher, wanted to create a reading nook and play space for her daughter that would be beautiful enough to display in her living room. That's when E&E Teepee was created. The teepees are made with the most beautiful fabrics, laces, and pom-pom trims, and they're handmade in Louisville, Kentucky. We've had our teepee for about two weeks, and my kids absolutely love it. They make me cart it upstairs to read before nap time and bedtime, and then I have to bring it back downstairs to watch their TV show in the teepee for the day. And it's so cute that I don't mind having it out in the living room when they're finished. Seriously, it actually makes my living room cuter. <laughs> One other amazing thing about this company is that E&E Teepees proudly hires refugee women that work comfortably in their own homes and are paid a fair wage. They even make products to go with your teepee, like adorning floral crowns, which are so cute, and tufted teepee mattresses inspired by Turkish floor mats. You can find her work on Instagram at ee underscore teepees or at her website, eeteepees.com. Enter the code JOURNEYWOMEN at the checkout and receive 20% off your order through the end of October. I'm just saying you should probably suggest this one to grandma for a Christmas present. We're so thankful for our sponsors, you guys, because they help keep Journey Women running. And one way that you can bless us is to go and check them out. Go check out handy.com and ENETPs today. Now, on to my conversation with Nancy Guthrie on the topic of the new heavens and the new earth. The podcast that's airing right before yours is on the topic of humility. And Hannah Anderson does such a great job of pulling out from Matthew 11, where he's talking about, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And I loved one of the lenses that you looked through when you were looking at the story, you know, from Genesis to Revelation was the day of Sabbath. Could you describe that one a little bit? What is the significance of the Sabbath in the context of Scripture and in remembering God? sufficiency, and how do we start appropriating or appointing the gift of the Sabbath in our lives today? Well, you know, when we look at that, when we begin in Genesis, and, you know, over and over again, we hear, you know, it was evening, it was morning, the fourth day. It was evening, it was morning, the fifth day. Evening, morning, sixth day. But it's very different when we get to seventh day. Yes, and I never noticed this, even though I've read through the Bible like a dozen times. <laughs> I know. I've been working on that, so you're not alone. Um, but you get to seventh. There's no, there's no ending of the seventh day. Yes. And, and, and so you get the sense when you're reading of the story, okay, so it's almost as if we're still waiting for, you know, this seventh day. And, and what does God do, though? You know, he enters into this rest and he's finished his work. He's entering into this rest. He's given work to Adam and Eve to do. And so there's this sense in which when they finish their work, we have the sense that they're going to enter into this eternal rest with him, this, this day that never ends kind of rest with him. But once again, what happens? They don't complete the work. Mm -hmm. They fail at the work. And they don't, so they don't enter into the rest. In fact, they are ejected into the wilderness. An aspect of the wilderness is a restlessness. Mm -hmm. Wilderness. 
And so as we trace the story of this Sabbath rest, you know, they, 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 the people, God uh, delivers the people from Egypt. They've been people who've been working seven days a week as slaves. And he brings them out into the wilderness and he commands them. It's really a gift, but it is also a command that one day in seventh, they're going to keep the Sabbath holy. Mm-hmm. Why does he want to do that? Well, I think it's because he's wanting to remind them they haven't reached that seventh day Sabbath rest that was set out before God's people in Eden that they've never, that have never been brought into. And, uh, and therefore, they need to have develop a rhythm in their lives that would keep reminding them of a greater rest to come. And that they're going to need a second Adam who will complete the work that God has given him to do. And, will, and as they are joined to that second Adam, they will then be able to enter into that rest. And so I think that helps us understand why Jesus, when he's on the cross, what is he, what's one of his final words on the cross? He says, it is finished. Mm-hmm. The work of the second Adam has been completed there in his death. And as we are joined to him, we can anticipate entering into this greater rest. That's why the writer of Hebrews says that there is yet a, the promise of Sabbath rest still stands is what he says in Hebrews chapter four. Why? Because we still haven't entered into this eternal seventh day Sabbath rest. And so what this means, I think for us in, in, in um, ordinary terms for our day to day, is that, you know, I think we we can fall into two ditches regarding the Sabbath. Right. We completely neglect it and say, okay, you know, that was Old Testament. It wasn't repeated mm-hmm. in the New Testament. And so I don't have to get all caught up in any kind of legalism about what I'm supposed to do or, or not supposed to do. And so we can completely neglect Sabbath rest, this gift that God has given to us so that one day in seven, we could reorient our lives toward him and toward this ultimate eternal promise for us. So we can uh, we can completely neglect it or we can become legalistic about it. Like it's all about rules about what we're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And, not, and that kind of sucks the life out of it, too. Uh, makes it about legalism and following rules rather than resting into all that God has promised and orienting our lives away from this world and toward the new creation, the, the new uh, Sabbath rest that is yet to come. And so I think seeing our lives in light of this story means that we simply want to take one day in seven to turn our focus away from the world, to remind ourselves of what Christ has done and what he is doing, what is yet to come, this eternal Sabbath rest with God that Adam failed to lead us into, but the second Adam will not fail to lead us into. Mm-hmm. 
I love how you talked about how Sabbath keeping sets God's people apart as being so well taken care of by God that they can actually like embrace the freedom of resting. And that's so potent for me because this is, I'm really seeing the connection and correlation between pride and my Mm. uh, pursuit of self-sufficiency and not acknowledging my limitedness. And this chapter really helped me make the connection of like, ah, what a gift again rest is and how that in and of itself is a testament to God's grace in our lives. And I want to embrace that fully, Nancy, but. (laughs) I do. And you know what? This was the most convicting chapter for me to Right. Really? Oh, totally. Uh, You know, I don't want to write and encourage somebody else to do something. I'm not living myself. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I find myself a lot of times on Sunday, you know, uh, coming to the computer and, you know, wanting to get a a jump on things. And Mm -hmm. so when I try to see that in terms of me saying what I'm doing there is I'm saying to God, I can't trust you to take care of me based on what I do the other six days. I've got to take this into my own hands right. and make sure I get done everything I need to get done. And to now see that not, a, and that's not legalism that that's to, to, to see myself in that light, I think is a, is a, is seeing myself in light of the promise to just say, wouldn't Nancy, won't you just trust God that, he will, he will provide for you mm-hmm. based on what you get done the other six days and that trust this gift he wants to give you, that it will bring you your deepest joy and satisfaction, which is just to focus on him, his gift of creation, his gift of recreation, redemption on this day and just enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. What are some other truths that you've learned, Nancy, about the end of the ages that have changed the way that you do life on a daily basis? Hmm. Well, we talked about clothing. I, I, I do think, you know, I, you know, along with clothing and you mentioned the, the aging thing. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So my birthday is this week. Huh? Ooh, happy birthday. And you said something earlier. You said you were like 30 years old. Did you yes. say that? Yes, I am. I'm 30. All right. Well, I'm a little older than that <laughs> on this birthday. Okay. <laughs> you know, when the birthday rolls around, y- y- you got to remember. And I think that this, that the story of the Bible helps us with that very, what may seem mundane, but it's very real to all of us, you know, and, and that is, you know, this whole thing about aging and, you know, we have such a quest for youth, right. And, and the, the world wants to sell us its own version of immortality. Yes. It it sells us a version of immortality in the form of wrinkle cream and plastic surgery and hair color. And I'm not putting down hair color. I just would like to say, um, (laughs) you know, all these things, (laughs) you know, to, to, to keep ourselves young, it's the world's version of immortality, but you know what? It doesn't work. Mm hmm. It doesn't work. Uh, But when we understand the Bible's story, uh, like going back to that story of clothing, you know, when we, that story of clothing, uh, Paul writes both in 1 Corinthians 15 and 2 Corinthians 5, he talks about putting on the clothing of immortality. Hmm. And and I like to say it, uh, I can't die-ness. Right. An undiability. I know I'm making up words, but that's, 
you know, immortality can, can, can sound like we can't grow a hold of it, but immortality means I can never die. I will, I will not grow old in the new heavens and the new earth. And you know what? That helps me with face and birthdays and growing old with, with the pounds of menopause and the, the wrinkles of age and the age spots on my face that I need to go get burned off and all of those things. I just, <laughs> okay, so <clears throat> my hope is not set in trying to stay and look young in this life. My hope is set on immortality. Mm-hmm. And the day is coming when I'm going to, you know, going to rid myself, to use Paul's words, of this tent, this this clothing. And my body's going to go in the grave. And my soul is going to go into the presence of Christ. And then I'm going to return with him. And he's going to call my body up from the grave. And it's going to be a glorious body. A body, Paul says in Philippians, we will be like him. Uh, glorious like him. And, you know, this word glorious, and we think about having glorified bodies. Okay. One aspect of the many things that means is this is going to be an immortal body. Mm -hmm. I just don't have to have such a a grip, a, a, a desperate grabbing for keeping my youth here or trying to, you know, not grow old here because you know what? I am clothed with immortality forever. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I just think these are the kind of things we can, it can be sound like religious talk, but at, my hope for even better than Eden in this book and as people read it is that these truths would not just be something we go, oh yeah, that's kind of nice. That's a religious sounding thing, but no, that, that this would become the fabric of our thinking yes. about these kind of things. Because what that does, when it becomes a fabric of our thinking, it changes our feeling. Mm-hmm. So when we have those desperate feelings of uh, about our aging, we think about the immortality to come. When we have that desperate feeling like we're not looking good in our clothes, we think I am going to be clothed in holiness, beauty, and glory forever. Therefore, I don't really need to worry about my wardrobe quite so much right now. Yes. Um, you know, when I when I sense that maybe my longing to be in the presence of Christ is not everything I would wish it to be, that I find myself so caught up in the world, I realize that, you know, Christ has, on the cross, he actually died for my apathy, even, toward God. Mm -hmm. And that, that God's passion to dwell forever with his people is going to be accomplished. And it's it's going to make up for all my lack of passion mm. for that kind of thing, even right now. But it also, as I gaze into God's word and I take in his longing to dwell with his people, with his bride, then it, it moves my heart and mm-hmm. it makes mm-hmm. to, to fill it with more of a longing for seeing his face and living with him forever. Mm-hmm. This is really unpolished. Uh, I'm verbally processing here, but it's been so much more potent for me to approach things from the scripture in this way and then to practically apply them to my life as opposed to taking um, kind of the self-help route that I see a lot of women's books and, you know, 
they'll uh, attack the problem of yes. uh, self-deprecation or, or hatred at, from the perspective of, like, love yourself more. And I'm like, man, Nancy, get it, girl, because we got to love God more. And as we see this story and how it's worked its way out through all of redemptive history, that, like, enables me to love the life that God has given me in the context yeah. of his story. I like what you're saying there. And you really hit on something that, that was really— like a battle for me in putting together the book, because in some ways I started when I was first starting the book, I was thinking about, you know, in terms of the chapters to, to make the, basically the subject of the sentence about things we long for, mm. you know, so like the starting point being the things that we long for. And then I was going to demonstrate how Christ supplies those things. And, and that, that could be one way you went about it. In fact, there's lots of women's books that do that. I mean, I actually made a list of all the titles that were all about women's desires and longings. Wow. Which, which makes that the subject of the sentence, right? And as I worked and reworked and reworked and reworked, hmm. you know, just the basic title and chapter titles of this, I realized, you know what? I simply cannot put our needs and longings as the subject. Yeah. The, the center of this has to be Christ mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and what he has done and what the word does for us. And... And the truth is, we, in some ways, we come out at the same place in that we recognize all the things we do long for mm-hmm. in our deepest longings. We see that Christ has has provided for them and all of those needs and desires will be met in the new heavens and the new earth. But there just has to be a shift for us in the here and now of not putting ourselves at the center. Yes. Every sentence of every longing of every pursuit, but instead putting Christ at the center. And as we do that, we realize he is meeting our deepest needs and desires. Yes. Amen and amen. So if we want to grow (laughs) in our understanding of his story and in our understanding of the new heavens and the new earth, what resources would you recommend for us? Ah, this can be anything. I mean, the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do. I, I, th- th- certainly, that is the case. And, you know, I think a lot of times we approach the Bible as just a looking for a little inspiration of the day. Mm-hmm. And instead, we need to do something you mentioned you're working on is trying to saturate, saturate ourselves in understanding the larger story of the Bible. Um, you know, one book you might look at for that is one called According to Plan by okay. Graham Goldsworthy um, or his Goldsworthy trilogy. I mean, those were groundbreaking foundational books for me in, in beginning to understand these things. Yeah, sorry, I'm not very well prepared because the, the reason I'm stumbling is as I wrote this book, I mean, I was I was. I was doing some heavy lifting of some big, heavy theological books. Right. I love how you bridge that gap for us, Nancy, because I'm maybe not quite at that level. Well, I hope so. That's really my aim. Yeah. Um, Because these are the things that uh, really help the Bible to make sense of it, uh, Mm -hmm. sense of things for us. Um, But yeah, I guess I just hope that what I provide an even better than Eden will give people a taste of this, that then Mm -hmm. they'll want to go deeper Mm -hmm. and to study biblical theology. I mean, you know, you might look at, it's a pretty heavy theological and he was, you know, lived a century ago. uh, Gerhardus Voss's biblical theology. That is a, that is a good place to start. Um, I love a book by, uh, David Murray called Jesus on Every Page. That's oh. a very understandable 
good place to start awesome. to Christ through all of the scriptures. Or another book that was really helpful to me was a book by Michael Williams called Far As the Curse is Found. Mm-hmm. And he really gives, I mean, I probably read that three times when I was cool. just beginning to understand these things. My copy is underlined over and over again yes. because it was just shifting my paradigm to understand the Bible in this way. That's what my pastor recommended for introduction to covenant theology. Oh, good. <laughs> yes. And the David Murray episode that you did on Help Me Teach the Bible is my favorite. Oh my gosh, I have to admit. Good? Yeah. <laughs> so your podcast is one of my simple joys, reading great books on theology, another one of my simple joys. But I'd love to hear what are three of your simple joys, Nancy? Ah, well, one of them I'm preparing to do as soon as we hang up. All right. And that is my one of my simple joys is walking in the park by my house. Um, love it. Nash, Nashville has the, some of the best parks. And so you know, it's going to take me about two minutes to feel like I'm in the middle of the Smoky Mountains just up in this park. So mm. that would be one. Um, yesterday, my husband, David, and my son, Matt, and I went to the movies. You know, it was a it was a holiday. And I was just sitting there. It was like one of those movie theaters with the reclining seats. And I'm Ooh, like, yeah. wow. I mean, first of all, I felt incredibly spoiled uh, <laughs> to like be able to. But, um, you know, it's incredible joy. I, I just sat there and looked at all of our feet up on those recliner seats <laughs> and um, to have a son who at the age of 28 has a holiday and he, he mm. like is willing to spend some of it with his mom and dad. Oh, yeah. Um, that that's a superior joy. That's awesome. That, right. And, and then as I, as I look at this coming week, I mentioned earlier, I'm going to do this, um, a biblical theology workshop at a church in Austin. I've never done it quite like this before. And I'm going to train people how to trace these themes throughout the Bible. So I have cool. a passion. I, I have a passion to introduce and infiltrate women's Bible study with biblical theology. And by the term biblical theology, I don't mean as opposed to anti-biblical, I'm talking about this understanding the Bible is a story and how that helps us to understand the smaller parts of the Bible right and to not so quickly make it all about me, but to understand in what way the Bible is all about Christ. So it will be, I mean, I can hardly wait. I'm just pinching myself that I get to do this. It's going to be so much fun. So that's wonderful. There's my joys. Can people access some of your teaching on this topic through the Simeon Trust Fund? No, probably not. You know, okay. this, the, the Simeon Trust, I'm glad you brought it up. I, I have loved over the last four or five years being involved in the Simeon Trust. In the Simeon, the Simeon Trust is a great resource mm-hmm. for both pastors, but also women Bible teachers who right. want to get better at handling the text. The focus of Simeon Trust is going to a test and, and developing our skills and our use of tools in digging into the text to understand how to communicate it rightly. So biblical theology is a little slice of that. And if they, you go mm. to simeontrust.org mm-hmm. and you want to take just their first principle course online, there'll be some uh, biblical theology training there. 
Cool. That's great. I'm about to take that. Colleen just gave me access and I saw your name on the list and you're, it, it's been pulled up on my computer ready to take, but I, I haven't told you this, but I have a two and a three-year-old. So that's another reason why I really appreciate your writing and helping me kind of bridge that gap because sometimes my brain just isn't functioning on all cylinders, Nancy. Oh, I don't believe it. <laughs> I don't believe it. Well, one of the reasons why I started the Journey Women podcast is to connect women with other women on their journeys to glorify God who have been an encouraged to me. You've been such an encouragement to me. I know that people can see why after hearing you on the show today. And we would love to hear from you. Who is it that's had the greatest impact on your own journey with Jesus, Nancy? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Oh, that makes me weep because I just think about people invested in me. Mm -hmm. Um, I think about my sixth grade Sunday school teacher, Estelle Hudgens. Mm. And she was the first person I know who smiled so much when she taught the Bible because she loved it. Mm. And she saw something in me and she encouraged me. Um, but I, I, I guess uh, really at the forefront of my mind right now is, is, is my mentor in Bible teaching that I'll get to see this weekend when I'm in Austin. And oh, her name is Sue Johnson. And she was my BSF teaching leader for wow. seven years, but I had known her before then. Uh, she'd been at my wedding because I went back when I lived in Waco, her husband worked at the same company I did. And week by week, as I sat under her Bible teaching, God used it to change me and convict me and sanctify me. And I just remember sitting there and watching week to week and just thinking, I can't imagine doing anything more significant with my life than what she is doing. Wow. Teaching the Bible. But I thought I'll never have the ability to do it or the credibility to do it or the opportunity to do it. Mm. And here I am now and I get to do it. And, um, you know, when I see her this weekend, she has memory issues and she won't, she won't, remember all of a lot of the things that I've shared with her, but, um, you know, I'm just, I'm just so grateful for when you teach the Bible, it's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hours trying to figure stuff out. And so I'm just, when I think about all of her years of teaching that class that I came to week after week, so hungry. I'm so grateful for all of the hours on her knees and with her books open and preparing to teach because it changed my life. I'm so curious. Do you know if she remembers the Bible? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, that's been my experience, Nancy. The reason I started this podcast, my grandfather, he was a Southern Baptist preacher and he passed away. So my grandmother, after my grandfather passed away, she is uh, losing her memory as well. She cannot remember if she took her vitamins and pills in the morning or not. And yet when he passed away, she immediately started quoting almost the entire chapter, the last chapter of Habakkuk. And I just sat there and looked at her when she sang, though the fig tree withers and the grass, you know, there's no fruit on the vine, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And I sit there and I think to myself, what am I doing today to build the type of faith and to know my Bible and love it that way that when when I'm 80 years old, like she is, that I might have that bubbling force from my lips despite not remembering anything else and only knowing that, you know, my greatest love has been lost and, you know, on this side of heaven. And so, yeah, I appreciate that story and it resonates with me. And 
I'm so thankful, Nancy, for your investment in our lives and for your mentor's investment in you. It's just really cool to see how God works that out in our journeys. Thank you for joining us on our journey today. It's been a joy to have you on the show. Oh, my joy has been to be with you. Thanks so much. Y'all, I am so thankful for Nancy's encouragement to look forward to and to yearn for the new heavens and the new earth. Aren't you? Now that you've heard her speak, hey, you can find the details on everything that we talked about in the show notes at journeywomenpodcast.com. That includes the noteworthy quotes that I know you wanted to write down when you were like driving or folding laundry. So go check them out there. If you want to talk more about the topic of the new heavens and the new earth, Join us this week at Journey Women Podcast on Instagram or on Facebook. Hey, if you're enjoying these conversations, I would love it if you'd take a few minutes to leave a review of the podcast on iTunes or Facebook. Here is one that I found particularly encouraging that Jenny posted just this week. She said, my favorite thing about this podcast is that it makes me want to know Jesus more, to be sitting at his feet and reading his word more, for he is the source of all this goodness. Yay! That is my hope, my aim, and my prayer. Reviews like this help get Journey Women into the hands of other women on their journeys to glorify God. I cannot say thank you enough for taking the time to leave them. A huge thanks to Chris Mann with Podshaper who edited this week's episode. You guys, it's a joy to journey with you. I can't wait to see you here next Monday. Have a great week. Don't be the